Hi, I'm Juliet Maxson. And I'm Lucy Wright, and this is Life on Rails. We're part of the PR team at Greater Anglia and present this podcast that dives behind the scenes of one of the largest train companies in the UK. We're talking to all types of people, from facilities managers to heads of communication, as well as some special Greater Anglia celebrities. In this episode, we speak to astronomer, broadcaster and author Mark Thompson. That image was of a, a, a beautiful velvet black background and I saw Saturn with the rings and to see that for real myself, it was just the most amazing image. Our resident fairs guru, Ken Strong. So what you can do is buy this ticket and you can travel as much as you like within the area of validity of the ticket. Hop on and hop off as you wish. The managing director of Greater Anglia, Jamie Burles. It is full on, but the bottom line is I do enjoy it because what we do makes a real difference. And Mark Ellis, Head of Facilities Management at Greater Anglia. It makes economical use of electricity on that station, which is why we've managed to save so many kilowatt hours and a massive impact on our carbon footprint. To kick things off though, we're going to speak to Kate Snowden, Head of Communications for Anglia at Network Rail. We work really closely with Kate, so it's a real pleasure to have her on the podcast. Thank you for joining me, Kate. Oh, thanks, Lucy. It's a real pleasure to be here. So today I'd like to focus on engineering work. So could you just start us off, give me an example of some of the engineering work projects and explain why they're important? It's really interesting about engineering works because they can actually be anything from some simple maintenance, which we do every single day of the year, and that's around making sure that um, all our track, all our signalling is working and functioning as safely and as effectively as it can be. And if you think about your car or your house, you need to make sure that you do your cleaning, you need make sure you do your oil change that sort of thing you need to pump up your tires that kind of stuff so exactly the same with with um, the railway we need to make sure everything's working so that goes on all the time and we have people out working every single day and night of the year doing that but then we have much bigger projects in which we're actually doing big pieces of renewing the tracks uh, or in some cases we're even actually building new tracks so I think if we talk about renewals probably hear a lot about this and this is the sort of stuff that we're doing over several weeks of, of the year and that would be for example let's say we need to renew the track so just like I say there's the tires on your car the track gets worn out from having greater Anglia trains running over it all the time and so it needs to be replaced so that it, it makes sure that the, there aren't any defects means that uh, there aren't any faults and that would mean that your train might get delayed and the metal tracks that you see it's also about replacing the sleepers it's about replacing the what we call the ballast which are the big stones that um, make sure that everything sits in place so it's quite a big deal and I've been to see some of these taking place and it's amazing because they've ripped up the entire track there's absolutely nothing there you're standing around watching them you know, sort of, I say, rip it up. And then amazingly, Monday morning, it's all back down and there's a train running over it. And it's, it's really remarkable. So and that's, you know, in an ideal world, what you do is you just close the railway for a few weeks and you can get it all done. But of course, then we wouldn't be able to get people to where they need to be. So it's quite often it's about doing it in piecemeal and you need to close down the railway, say, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, get all your equipment on track, do what you need to do and then get it all off again. So that's why a weekend and especially a a bank holiday weekend where you get a little bit longer to do it is why you can get so much more done, more bang for your buck as such. How do you decide when to do the engineering work? A lot of people have asked, why didn't you do this during the pandemic when we were in lockdown? Why didn't you just get it all done then? Why is it always shut over Easter? You know, we get those kind of questions. So what would your answer be to that? 
That's a really good question. A lot of um, what we need to get done is decided by our engineering asset teams. And what they're doing is that they are constantly looking at how is the asset performing? And by that, what I mean is, let's say you've got a piece of track. You know how old it is. You know how worn out it is because you're regularly sort of checking on it and testing it. And you know at what point it will need to be renewed in order to keep performing at the standard that you need it to do. So we will know that we need to renew a piece of track. We'll know that we need to build an, an, a new structure um, or refurbish our structures at certain points. And obviously there is some leeway in that, but you're going to plan it at the, the most optimal point uh, uh, to make sure that you're not going to you know, get a detrimental performance to, to, to train services. We are looking at things like, if we need to do that, when, when's going to be the least disruptive time? So we will discuss that with the train operators and look at where we think would cause the least disruption. And then it's a case of, yes, of, of, of agreeing that and getting, getting that sorted. Quite often that's planned, so, you know, at least two years in advance. And then there are several iterations of going back and forth and working that out over that period. But it's absolutely, definitely nailed down three months before the work actually gets started. But most of it is decided way, way in advance of that. Um, the other thing that we do is that we look ahead to try and see if there are any external events that might have an impact. So obviously COVID has been really difficult with things like that because a lot of stuff hasn't been happening. So Things like um, the London Marathon, we work with you know, organisations like big football clubs. So I recently attended a meeting with Tottenham Hotspur, where we, obviously with their stadium, they're now hosting more than just football. They're putting on boxing events and, and music events. And so we're looking at actually on the days in which they're doing stuff, actually, is there an opportunity where we can keep the railway running as much as possible so that people can get to those events as well? It's not always possible. Um, and... Our timescales don't always match with theirs, but we're trying to get get there as much as possible. Your point about COVID, why didn't you get anything done? I think that goes back to almost the invisibility of the railway because we were working as hard as we have ever been during COVID. And every single night and every single weekend, we were working to deliver a huge amount of works to improve the railway. And actually that's borne out in terms of now people are coming back to the railway. But the uh, the thing about the railway is it's never actually, it's never ever done. It's you, you're always going to have to do more because, you know, we're talking about several thousand miles of track and equipment here and it, it will always need more doing to it and it will always need uh, always need maintenance yes ongoing but on that note I think it's really important to thank everybody because so many people don't have bank holidays with their family and and their children they miss out on that and you know they're working through the night so it's really important that you know we do appreciate that their work and like you said the punctuality is great and we're so proud we're so so pleased with it so um people can always see what engineering work is coming up just look at our website and look at the service alterations tab and it's just also worth reminding people that whenever there is engineering work we will put on a rail replacement bus service so people can complete their journeys we will always get you where you need to be it just might take a little bit longer so thank you so much for bearing with us kate thank you so much for coming on our podcast it's been really good to speak to you today thank you so much and hopefully i've helped explain a few myth busters and of course if anyone's got any questions we'd be happy to to help uh, answer anything by yourselves if anyone's got any specific questions on what we're what we're up to it's now time for greener anglia 
and today I'm meeting with Mark Ellis, Head of Facilities Management at Greater Anglia. Mark is responsible for many projects at Greater Anglia which benefit the environment. How are you, Mark? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Can you briefly tell me what being Head of Facilities Management means and what you actually do? Yeah, I have the overall responsibility for making sure that all of Greater Angular stations are are maintained by uh, a mix of internal staff and outsourced contractors. So we make the stations safe for all our passengers. We keep them lit. You know, we keep the the seating in good condition. Anything that makes a station safe for a passenger to occupy. And so you're also responsible for all of the cleaning and collecting the rubbish, all of that sort of thing. Yes. Yes, cleaning and waste and uh, also maintenance of all, all the assets that, that, that sit on a station, like lighting and seating, et cetera, et cetera. So over the years, you've made quite a few changes that have made it greener from waste management, recycling and so on, and installing LED lights. But I'm particularly interested, over the last couple of years, Greater Anglia has saved the equivalent of over a thousand tonnes of carbon dioxide at our stations with these wireless energy management systems, WEMS. And that's the equivalent carbon footprint of heating 370 homes in the UK, which is pretty impressive, I think. So what are these wireless energy management systems and, and how do they work? So the, the the system is basically designed is a almost like a control panel that um, takes signals from a series of wireless temperature sensors that are positioned in various parts of the station. So you, you can have them in passenger waiting rooms, you can have them in ticket offices, ticket halls, you can have them in staff mess rooms and back of house areas. And what happens is that you set the system up to heat an area or cool an area to a certain temperature. And what happens is that those wireless sensors will send a signal to the main box in the station telling that box what the temperature is in that room. And then that enables it to either switch on the heating or switch on the cooling or turn each of those off, for example. And so what it does, it maintains a steady temperature throughout the day. So you don't get fluctuations of high temperatures in one room and really cold temperatures in another. So it really balances the ambient temperature. So that what that does then is it makes economical use of electricity on that station, which is why we've managed to save so many kilowatt hours and, and, and a massive impact on our carbon footprint. And so, for instance, um, my, my nearest station is Colchester. Where would I, would I see these uh, this WEMS or what rooms would they be in? So it's pretty, it's pretty uh, low key, really. So if you went into a supervisor's office on a platform, you'd you'd see what looks like a little white box on a wall, which looks very similar to a electrical distribution box you'd have in your home, and there'd be a, a black antenna coming out of that. That is then picking up signals from these temperature sensors. Now these temperature sensors, if you went into a waiting room you'd see a little white box, probably twice the size of a box of matches for a better description, and that'll be mounted on the wall somewhere. That is working away, measuring the temperature, sending signals to that main control unit to control the heating. Mm -hmm. So I guess they're great for the environment, and in this day and age when heating costs are just phenomenal, must be saving a little bit of money, which must be good for the railway too. 
It, it is. And the other thing with the energy prices going up is it means that the system pays for itself much quicker than, than first calculated. And the company that installed this system for us are absolutely inundated now with inquiries from various companies looking to put this equipment in, obviously due to the energy saving desire. Sounds brilliant. Anything else you're working on that's going to benefit the environment? We are looking at 10 particular stations that are high consuming to look at thermal efficiency to see if we can do things to those stations, you know, to better insulate, better draft proof, to save even more energy on top of what we're saving already. It sounds good. It's just really great to hear of all the different things that Greater Anglia is doing to make rail travel as sustainable as possible. So thanks very much, Mark. That's been really interesting and look forward to hearing about more schemes in the future. Sure, no problem. Thank you very much. Time now for Fares Guru with podcast regular Ken Strong. Today we'll be talking about Ranger and Rover tickets. Hi Ken, welcome back. Hello Lucy, thank you for having me back. So the good weather's finally here. We're seeing more and more people returning to rail and we have got Ranger and Rover tickets on offer. They're a really good way for people to explore several destinations like along the same line or in the same area. So can you just tell me a bit about the types of Rangers and Rovers we have on offer, please? We have Rangers and Rovers in quite a few areas, generally in our rural uh, Norfolk and Suffolk areas rather than in the more commuter land towards London. We have ones that cover the entire sort of rural area and ones that cover specific lines. Okay, so what are the benefits of rangers and rovers well a ranger uh, let me explain first for the difference between a ranger and a rover is a ranger is a one-day ticket and a rover is for longer than a day and that's standard across the country actually so what you can do is buy this ticket and it's valid after the morning peak on a weekday or any time at weekends and you can travel as much as you like within the area of validity of the ticket hop on and hop off as you wish and can you save money are they cheaper than say day tickets if you're just making one out and back journey then it's obviously cheaper just to buy a day return ticket but if you are making two or three separate journeys and going to visit two or three separate different places then it's better value to buy the the ranger ticket because they don't cost much more than the basic day return anyway and some of them have a special deal, don't they? I think there's one on the Wherry Lines for... There's one on the Wherry Lines, which is very good. It takes you from Norwich to Yarmouth and Lowestoft and the the branch line through Bernie Arms as well. You can visit Lowestoft and Yarmouth if you're starting at Norwich. Also stop off at the Broads, if you like, at uh, one of the small stations on, on route and uh, have a look round. And it's a very good value ticket. It's only 11.50 for the day. And there are wheel card discounts on that. And what's also very good about that one, and the Bittern line one on the Sheringham Cromer line as well, is that there are senior versions that uh, don't require a rail card. So if you are over 60, you just pay the reduced rate of 7.55 automatically. That's a great tip. So if somebody was planning um, a little holiday in the region, what would you recommend that they do? What you can do is you can base yourself in one of the, the main towns in the area, say Norwich or Ipswich or Cambridge and travel there, buy one of our very good value advance or off-peak tickets from London or wherever you're starting from, and then buy the either the Day Ranger or the 3 and 7 Rover, which you can use on any three days in a week, uh, and travel around uh, the whole of the Norfolk and Suffolk area and parts of Cambridgeshire that it covers. Basically, most places north of Cambridge and Ipswich, right up to the Norfolk coast, uh, the Suffolk coast, and between Cambridge and Ely and across towards Thetford as well. And you, so you can visit 
some of the interesting places that there are in that area in this area there's there's various evidences a very nice time to visit there's norwich of course there's ipswich with its um waterside area there's the coast the suffolk line and the the, the norfolk coast north norfolk as a uh, cromer and sheringham which are nice places to visit there's the norfolk broads there's the um breckland area around thetford there's all sorts of places that you can visit and you can do as few or as many as you want in a day subject to the the time that you have and you can just hop on and off the trains as many times as you like you can hop off and on off and on the trains uh these these tickets start at generally eight forty-five in the morning there are a few concessions to allow slightly earlier travel than that where there's a train just before the eight forty-five uh, deadline and any time at weekends so as long as you don't travel in the early morning uh rush hour which is you know if you're you know making a holiday of it you're unlikely to be doing anyway then it's absolutely fine you can go anytime and there's no evening restrictions on it at all brilliant that's great thank you so much ken thank you lucy it's now time for meet a member of staff and today we're here with jamie burles managing director of greater anglia hi jamie how are you i'm okay i'm okay julia how are you i'm good thank you so you're our managing director, very important role. Um, what's it like to be managing director of a large train company? Well, I guess it's certainly not boring. So that would be my first my first comment, Juliet. So <clears throat> on the one hand, it's it's pretty relentless um, because as you might imagine, we as GA we run trains every day of the year. Um, except Christmas Day, so we have. I guess we really we have one day off. Um, so it is pretty much it's a it's a twenty four seven operation. So yes, it is it is full on. Um, but I do the bottom line is I do enjoy it because what we do as as a train company and 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 what all train companies do makes a real difference to the lives of the people who who use our our service. So, so what do you actually do? My my role is really really varied, you know, so I'm often focused on overseeing a lot of the the performance, the punctuality improvement initiatives. Then I'm spending lots of time liaising with network rail, the infrastructure, the people who run the tracks, the signals uh, and so forth, liaising with network rail to again make sure that they're focusing on the right reliability improvements and the right investment initiatives because of course we are a a collaboration it's a partnership we run the trains in the stations they run the tracks the signals and overhead lines so another aspect is liaising with the government Um, so the government's very keen on ensuring that we're doing a good job we're doing the right thing we're spending money on the right things we're making savings where we need to make savings Another element is liaising with stakeholders. And then, of course, as a lot of listeners will will, will know, uh, we're spending a lot of time focusing on the rollout of our brand new fleet of trains. So we're about halfway through now upgrading every single train that we operate right across the networks. And that's been a big, big focus for the organisation because it is genuinely transforming the the service that we offer to our customers where we very shortly we're going to have the newest train fleet in the entire country which is brilliant for customers but it's taken a heck of a lot of hard work to get to this point goodness me it really is incredibly um varied and sounds like you have a lot of meetings is there a favorite part of a job i mean apart from dealing with the communications colleagues obviously (laughs) well the favourite part of the job is 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 when we get it right. 
so as you can probably imagine Juliet we've been through we've been through all sorts of phases haven't we you know we we can think back to things like beast from the east or 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 flooding or a particularly hot period where 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 there may have been some disruption and so forth so we we've been through the 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 full cycle of what the what what can be thrown at the railway if you like because it's a very yeah, complex a very complex operation and everything has to come together absolutely right for it to operate well the most enjoyable part for me has been definitely despite the pandemic because that's been awful for for everybody of course but the last two and a half years um, we've really seen a lot of improvement at GA. So we've seen the new trains coming in thick and fast, customers liking the new trains, the new trains getting more and more and more reliable. Um, we've seen our colleagues at Network Rail grappling with the challenges that they've had to to make the overhead lines reliable, the track reliable, and so forth. And they've done a fantastic job as well in the last two and a half years. So these stars have all aligned and that's produced you know record breaking reliability record breaking punctuality so uh, we've been on every single line that we operate we've been running far far more trains on time and that has been very very satisfying from my perspective that's that sounds fantastic and i remember you setting up performance and punctuality summits with network rail and challenging everybody to to do what we could to stop making sure that our trains ran on time and our punctuality is astonishing you just you can't really say oh the trains are always late because it's it's wrong isn't it yeah it's we were just in the last sort of four weeks we were just a smidgen under 95 percent what that means is the vast vast majority of the time whether you're traveling in peak times you know between let's say seven and nine in the morning or you're traveling at off-peak times just nearly nearly every train is is on time and a lot of hard work's gone into that. So we're not complacent, though. We are always looking to see how we can improve more. And and sometimes people are critical. And, and, and you being the, the man at the top, you know, come into criticism. How how do you deal with that negative feedback? Yeah. And, and so, Juliet, you're, it, it, it's an absolute truth, isn't it? From time to time, there is negative feedback. So to be honest, negative feedback doesn't make me feel any worse to be honest now let me i guess let me explain because the fact is that if we as a company have done something wrong or it's our fault that there's some disruption for example if it is our fault and we've done something wrong i'm already beating myself up about it and already working on trying to put it right for the future and so the situation really is that for many of us in ga we are, and I believe quite rightly, we are our own biggest critics when when things go wrong because we're not here to let people down. That's not our job. Our job's not to let people down. So if on occasion that does happen, we are the first to beat ourselves up. And sometimes, you know, we, we can be quite harsh on ourselves, but I think that that's ultimately absolutely healthy because being harsh on ourselves has driven us to tackle the root causes of issues, tackle some of the things that people thought couldn't be solved, couldn't be made better. But taking that attitude of being very critical on yourselves, it's made us drive some very significant improvements over the past few years. 
Brilliant. Do you use the trains yourself? Um, yes, I use the trains all the time because, um, so I live in Cambridge. I've um, never driven to London. I wouldn't fancy that drive to London. So I'm using the trains all the time. You know, once I joined the industry, I would say that 85% of the travel I do is 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 by train just because it really works for me because it's much quicker. I can work on the train. And then even, you know, during my spare time, I use the train as well. So whether that's going down to London or it's going to see my mum who lives in the northwest of England. So I've either got the choice of a, a nice trip up the West Coast with, with a Vanity West Coast or I've got a four and a half hour slog in the car up to my mum. So I I choose the train just because it, it it just makes much more sense to me. So no, I am I am a I am a big train user. Rest assured. When you're on the train or you're you're at stations, you you always seem to have time to talk both to members of staff and to customers. Yeah, absolutely. At a station or on a train, then you know I am identifiable. You know whether it's your land, lanyard around your neck, so 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 people. They do know who I who I work for, and some people know me. Um, so I think it's important to be open to you know once again to both good good and and negative feedback. And then when I pass through the stations, obviously with our staff, it's great to to talk to our staff because they nine out of ten of them want they want to engage, they want to give you feedback, they want to ask you questions about the future or or what's going on. And I always find you get into good conversation and then you always invariably learn something that you didn't know, whether it's something specific about that station or it's something specific about what passengers are saying about something. I always think that you come away a bit sort of richer for having interacted. I don't want to sort of um, uh, wander around sort of anonymously type thing. So I'd prefer to interact with the people if they want to have a chat. If they want to chat to me, I'm happy to chat to them. That's brilliant. It's been really great talking to you, Jamie. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Juliet. We're finishing off the episode with travel surgery and today our guest is Mark Thompson. Mark is an astronomer, broadcaster and author who explores the world of STEM. He's best known for his role as one of the presenting team on BBC Stargazing Live, but has done all sorts, including attempting to break a Guinness World Record last year for the longest marathon lecture. Hi, Mark. Hello there. How are you? Uh, do you know, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. When you, you know, just mentioning my Guinness World Record attempt last year, um, it just brought all the emotions and the experiences back momentarily there. And it was yeah, quite, quite a strange experience. Thank you for reminding me of that really quite bizarre moment in my life. It makes me feel tired just thinking about it, I have to say. But let's start with science and and astronomy. How did you become interested in science and astronomy? It started for me as a child, and I remember as a 10-year-old, only a few years ago now, um, probably a few (laughs) more than I care to mention, I went to, my dad took me along to my local astronomy society, the Norwich Astronomy Society, when it was based on the edge of the University of East Anglia playing field, and I saw Saturn through a telescope. And I've seen better images since since then, uh, you know, myself. But that image was of a, a, a beautiful velvet black background. And I saw Saturn with the rings. And to see that for real myself, it was just the most amazing image. And, and, and that is absolutely what kind of captured my imagination and, and got me absolutely hooked on astronomy. It does sound absolutely incredible. I, I, I can't imagine it because I have to say I've only ever seen Saturn 
in photographs, um, never through a telescope. But are we lucky in East Anglia? Because obviously it's not really built up, is it? And uh, there's, there's not huge cities everywhere. Is it a good place for stargazing? There's a number of different factors. First of all, you know, you've got the clear skies help. And, you, you know, we can't really, we can't control that. The weather is what the weather is. Um, although different parts of the world have different types of weather. So, you know, you, of course, you could always move to a desert and get <laughs> guaranteed clear sky for most of the year. But East Anglia is, is a superb place. A, it's flat, mostly, which helps enormously because the flatter an area is, then you don't get hills and you know huge built-up areas which which actually obscure the horizon, so you got you can't see things lower down. So you know North uh, East Anglia sorry, is, is great for that, but also it's not a highly industrialised area as well, and because it's generally a fairly rural part of the country, we don't when we get clear skies, it's not full of pollution and uh, and sort of that sort of almost smog that you get in the big cities, and so when we get clear skies, they are really clear. So yeah, it's it's a wonderful part of the world to explore, not just the countryside, but also the universe above your heads. Because actually, I'm sure there's been some news stories recently in the local press about people even seeing the northern lights from the Norfolk coast. Have you seen them? Absolutely, and, and I've seen it loads. Um, I've, I've moved around Norfolk a few, you know, where I live. Um, I've moved around to live in a few parts of the county, and I've seen it from uh, parts of Norfolk and the North Norfolk coast, but also from where I am now, down near near Dis, near Halston. I've seen it. Wow, I'm going to have to get out at night. I'd love to see those. You've just had a sellout of your spectacular science show, and you've you've done BBC Stargazing Live, and you've been on the One Show. Do you think people like you and Brian Cox have made science more interesting, more popular to children and the public in general? Well, of course, I've worked with Brian on Stargazing Live, so uh, you know, I like to think I make it more enjoyable and accessible than Brian but uh, yeah we <laughs> I'm sure I, you do. I, I, I think so I think it, it science has, has had to change or rather scientists and people who work in in science outreach have had to change because science isn't just about locking yourself up in your laboratory or your observatory and doing your work um, now Mark I'd like to talk to you about a slightly different area of your work I'd like to talk about your sleeping campaign so can you just yes. tell us I know it's so interesting can you just tell us a bit about it why you're doing it um, and why sleep is just so important to human beings yeah do you, oh, do you know what Lucy I could go on for hours about I could I could bore you to sleep no actually I'm sure you wouldn't sleep so many years ago I, I gave a 24-hour lecture to raise money for Marie Curie and at the time I wondered what the Guinness World Record was for the longest lecture um, learned it was over five days and very swiftly put it out of my mind as a, a, an absurd ridiculous crazy thing to do the 24-hour lecture went well I felt shattered at the end of it absolutely exhausted but I recovered and then I was talking to colleagues at the Norwich Science Festival and they talked me into having an attempt at the Guinness World Record. So in September last year, I attempted still waiting to find out if I was successful or not to break the record, which meant talking for over 139 hours, 42 minutes and 56 seconds, the current record. I went on for 140 hours. I had three hours sleep across the whole event. But because of that experience, I have become absolutely fascinated with sleep and the effects of not having enough sleep. Now, I experienced hallucinations. There were telescopes on the stage that I was convinced were alive. I heard people talk. I heard voices. Uh, and, of course, none of this was there. So I became acutely aware of, the, of the, the importance of sleep. You know, if you're constantly failing to get a good night's sleep, that increases your chance of cancer, diabetes, heart disease, dementia, obesity, to name but a few. And all we have to do is just make sure we get a good night's sleep every night, and that increases our health and our well-being substantially. So I, I want, you know, I'm starting up this campaign called Get Sleeping to try and encourage people 
to, to improve their relationship with sleep. After your lecture, how long did you sleep for when you got home? I think I slept for about 24 hours or so pretty much a day. But I would I tell you what, I had the most, I remember yawning towards the end of the lecture and I, the, the yawns felt ecstatic. The yawns just felt so lovely, filling my lungs with fresh oxygen. Oh, do you know what? I can remember them feel. Oh, they felt so nice, those yawns. But yeah, I, I slept for about 24 hours or so. Uh, and I, I was back to normal. I was napping throughout the following week, sort of every, every afternoon I have a sort of half hour nap. And within about a week and a half, two weeks, I, you know, I kind of felt back to normal and felt back to my normal wide awake self. Wow, 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, it was a lush sleep, I can tell you. <laughs> I bet it was. The feeling when you wake up, you just must feel uh, so like refreshed, yeah. so good, yeah. ready to face the day. So what do you do when you're not researching, working? What do you do in your downtime? I like getting outside. I like, I like, I do like uh, looking at the night sky. So I love going out to remote places to to enjoy a you know really proper dark clear sky i like walking getting out there in nature and, and i think that's probably just as a as a nod to the fact that i'm so busy all the time that it's just nice just to switch off a little bit absolutely well we've worked hard to pick out a good destination for you today yes i'm very curious what have you been conjuring up what i'm going to suggest is that you take the train to ely and you can either do that via Dis, Dis to Norwich and then Norwich to Ely, or you could get to Attleborough and get on that line and go across to Ely. And in Ely, there is, of course, the magnificent cathedral, which did you know that there was actually one of the canons who used to live there set up a solar observatory in the grounds of the, well, in his garden it was Canon William Selwyn and he set up this solar observatory and took pictures of the sun for every possible day from 1863 to 1874. Seems to me that's a, a good place for you to go. And then there's lots of walks to do from Ely out into the Fens, which I thought you could go and check some of those walks out and see if you could go back later on when it was dark, because I would imagine the Fens, the lowest point in England, must be great stargazing country that sounds wonderful i want to i want to hunt down this canon's garden and see if i can see if i can find where he used to observe the sun from that sounds like a wonderful that sounds yeah. wonderful I'm, I'm looking forward to that if you look on the visit ely website as well there are loads of walks including this walk called the Herowood way so yeah loads to do in ely for you excellent that sounds wonderful i should look forward to that with great anticipation brilliant well it's been really great talking to you so thanks very much and enjoy your trip i will lovely to talk to you both thank you very much indeed and that's it for this episode of Life on Rails. We hope you've enjoyed learning more about Greater Anglia. Please do tweet us at Greater Anglia PR and leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. Life on Rails releases every other month, so be sure to check back soon for episode six. And in the meantime, follow or subscribe to the podcast for free so you never miss an episode. And visit our website at www.greateranglia.co.uk podcast for more information. Thanks for listening. Bye.